0: Our gracious God, thank you again for this day that we have to gather together in your name. We thank you for this hour. We ask that you would be with us as we look at the doctrine of eternity in everyday life. We ask your blessing upon this time that it would be profitable for us, that it would enable us to be able to learn, to have a proper perspective on our life. We ask that you bless the children's Sunday school as they are being taught your word as well, that you help open their minds and hearts to receive what you would have for them. Thank you again for this time. We ask that you bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the content from today's uh, for today's class comes from chapter 24, the last chapter in the book that we have been going through Um do You Believe, 12 Historic Doctrines to Change Your Everyday Life by Paul David Tripp. And if you will take your hand out there, we'll go, we'll, do, we'll go work our way through this. It's so easy and it feels so natural to live for the present. It's so easy to fall into a shrunken world existence where everything is dominated by the needs, wants, opportunities, or fears of the moment. I'm afraid that in the busyness and intensity of daily life, Many of us completely lose sight of the future, and that is what the author terms eternity amnesia. So to diagnose, help us diagnose, uh, if this is us, if we have fallen into this short-term, nearsighted, myopic perspective on life, we can ask ourselves questions such as these. Uh, Do we spend our money with forever in view? Do we use our computers with eternity in focus? Does the future shape the way we live in our marriage? Do we invest our time and energy like a person who really does have destiny in view? Does the existence of forever sculpt the way we approach our sexuality? How does eternity affect the way we do our work and approach our careers? How does eternity affect the way we serve here at Redeemer Reformed Baptist and interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ? In short, does eternity make a difference in the way that we live in the present, in this moment? And finally, would anybody around us, observing us, conclude that eternity is in our thinking, that it really matters to us? So if you're like me, you probably thought, ouch, as uh, some of those questions were asked. And as we continue in this, this lesson today, we want to look at that, our perspective. That we have an eternal perspective so i'd like us to turn again to psalm 73 where pastor nick took us a few weeks back and as we read this psalm of asaph consider how it is a perfect example of what happens in the life of a believer when he loses sight of eternity so whoever has the mic psalm 73 <clears throat> psalm 73
1: a psalm of asaph truly god is good to israel to those who are pure in heart but as for me My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their heart overflows with follies. They scoff and speak with malice loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. "'swept away utterly by terrors, "'like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, "'you despise them as phantoms. "'When my soul was embittered, "'when I was pricked in the heart, "'I was brutish and ignorant. "'I was like a beast towards you. "'Nevertheless, I am continually with you. "'You hold my right hand. "'You guide me with your counsel, "'and afterwards you will receive me to glory. "'Whom have I in heaven but you?' And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your works.
0: Thank you. So what do we see here? In the first 16 verses, we see Asaph describing himself as one failing to live with eternity in view. What does he say? His feet almost stumbled, his soul was embittered, he envied the arrogant, he was pricked in heart, brutish and ignorant, like a beast toward his God. But then in verse 17, we have that word, until. Until I went into the sanctuary of my God. He went into the sanctuary of his Lord And God helped him to begin to see things from an end or an eternal perspective. And all of a sudden, even though had his circumstances changed, had the wicked changed, had anything changed in what was going on around him? No. Even though he's in the exact same circumstances and seeing the exact same things going around, his perspective is completely changed. And he ends the psalm with, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell of all his works. Not only is he accepting of his circumstances as from God, but he wants to tell others the works of God. He even says, I have nothing on earth that I desire besides thee. So how can we avoid Asaph's trap in our lives? Well, the author suggests that we strive against the following. So whoever has the mic, if they would read the first one unrealistic expectations
2: if you fail to keep eternity in focus you will ask the present world to be for you and do for you what it can it never can if you live a life that is shaped by unrealistic expectations you will live a life burdened by disappointment at every turn but if you live with eternity in view remembering that this is not your final destination but rather a time of preparation for your, uh, for your final destination, you will not be surprised when things don't work as they should, when people are, are less than perfect, when your dreams don't unfold as you expected, or when hardship comes your way. You'll know that when difficulty comes, you are being molded by the hands of the divine artist into something progressively more beautiful and more fit for the, par- for the paradise that is to come.
0: So we need to put away our eternity amnesia and remember that this is not our final destination but rather the time that God the divine artist is preparing us for that final paradise destination through what we encounter in our lives in the here and now. So a question what are some examples that you can think of of disappointments that we have experienced by having unrealistic expectations of people places or things? Gary:
3: I would think elections, you know, at, at some point we get all involved in, in the politics of, 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 what, of, what, of our world and certainly our country, and we, we begin to focus more on a person in, in, in the political realm than we do on the Lord. and I, I fall guilty of, I have fallen guilty of that like many a time. But I'm forgiven for that, I know that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Our elected leaders are not our savior. (laughs) Anyone else uh, can remember? Oh, Jane, I see your hand.
1: Sometimes even in the church we have unrealistic expectations. Or when things don't go right or there's um, dissension or, um, you know, they don't do things the way that I think they ought to be done. (laughs) You know, we get uh, disappointed. Some people just move on to another church. um, And we even put the church up there and expect it to be what we want it to be.
0: Amen. Here on this earth, it's not the paradise church. I think PJ had his hand as well. We need more power. Hmm? PJ, I think, oh, did you see someone else?
4: Boy, Uh all that preamble means this must be good. But uh, I, I think the person I have the most unrealistic expectations for is myself. I think I, I can save myself. I can be, you know, I, I can control my destiny. I can control my future, my world, my outcomes. You know, American dream. I just pull myself up by my bootstraps and I accomplish this myself. I can save myself. Um, and yet I'm running away Uh, I'm all the more in need of saving, the more I try to save myself. Okay, great. Thank you.
0: Brooklyn, I see Brooklyn's hand back there on the back.
1: Was that because he was confessing or (laughs) (laughs) he was doing the bootstrap thing? (laughs) No, it was a great idea. So
5: I think as a young Christian woman and somebody who went to a Christian college and watched all my friends get married and everything, and building up these expectations for, like I'm just going to feel so complete when I get married, and really making my husband into my God, who's supposed to fulfill me and who I'm supposed to devote my life to. Of course, I love my husband and want to serve him, but he can't complete me, and so... I had that expectation going into marriage, and I was like, "Why do I still feel like just like I'm missing something?" And so, um, I realized like Joel isn't Jesus. <laughs> That's why. <Whoa.
3: laughs>
0: yeah, I, yeah, right. <laughs> well, that hurts, but it's true in all of our lives. <laughs> So a couple others that I expe- I came up with, these are great. Expecting not to be sinned against by those closest to me. Or how about this one? Expecting that my wife should think exactly as I do about everything. And she does in everything that's important <laughs> for eternity. But other things, you know. She has a different perspective, and I do well to listen to that, respect, that perspective and, and take the wisdom that she provides. Um, <laughs> or how about that my house or my car will never need repairs. <laughs> and this one was mentioned already, that my church will be perfect. Jane mentioned that one. I'm sure you could think of many, many more if you had the time. So we need to strive to have realistic expectations. So, moving on to whoever has the mic next, Carol. Too much self-focus.
6: You and I are created to live with something more than this present moment in view. We were designed to live for something bigger than the pleasure, comfort, and happiness that this moment can give us. We were made to live for something vastly bigger than ourselves, which, with a much longer view than this moment provides for us. Eternity requires us to face the fact that the spotlight of the center stage of our lives is someone else. Every chapter of our lives has been written for the glory of another. The got-to-have-it-now-or-I-won't-be-happy the got self-obsession obsession with our culture never produces peace of mind and heart. It never results in content contented living.
0: So the spotlight on the center stage is not on us. It is on someone else, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the chapters of our lives have been written for his glory, not ultimate glory, not ours. Can you think of a time that self-focus exercised too much influence in your life? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can tell you in my life, as a general principle, if there's ever conflict in any sphere of my relationship in my life, that you can pretty much bet self-focus, selfishness is at the root of it.
1: (laughs) Anybody have any specific examples they'd like to share? My marriage started off with a kind of a self-focus on me. Ladies, my marriage colors, my wedding colors were silver and blue. My favorite colors. Not my wife's. How self-focused was that? I mean, that's pathetic.
4: (laughs) To be honest, it probably would be easier to count the moments when I don't have too much self-focus. and uh, Especially even as a Christian, the, the the parts that are hardest is when you realize, uh, for me, when, even when I read scripture, I'm reading scripture, maybe not looking for God, but looking for me. When I'm uh, listening to a sermon preached, I'm looking for me, not looking for God. Um, like this lack of, of the eternal view and thinking of, of God's glory and eternal kingdom that we get to be a part of when I lose sight of it. Even, even the things that are supposed to be holy and like the most noble thing I could be doing with my time even then I'm looking for me in the passage like this is about me somehow or even if it's it's, um, conviction of guilt I want to feel that conviction and so it, um, it just that self focus and that selfishness just it seems to taint everything even the holiest and noblest of desires or actions
0: thank you Obviously, that comes natural to all of us, right? It's something we have to fight against constantly. Okay. Anyone else before we move on to the next one? All right. Let's go to wanting too much from
7: people. When we lose sight of eternity in our relationships, we will constantly be asking the people near us to deliver to us the paradise of our The paradise our hearts long for. We lose sight of the fact that as
0: fellow sinners, they have no ability to deliver. Just a second, Julian. So right here, right now, we can't expect and we won't have paradise children. We won't marry a paradise spouse. We won't have a paradise boss. We won't have a paradise neighbor, paradise friends, or as shocking as it may sound, even paradise pastors.
7: Okay. Go ahead. (laughs) Looking to others to give us what they will never be able to give only ends in frustration, anger, disappointment, conflict, and division. I'm
0: sure we can all relate with that. Frustration, anger, disappointment, conflict, and division. What are some things that you may have expected from people that they could never be expected to deliver? To
7: read my mind and do exactly the way I like it and never talk. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I've noticed. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's something that I'm working on on myself, and especially when it comes to children and expecting you, like, trying to pretend that you're interested in things that your kids are doing and wanting them to do everything that you say, you know, it's not
0: easy. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Rob Roy. (laughs) 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 <laughs> your child is next to you.: <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, f- the
8: flip side of uh, you, know, wanting someone to read your mind is the terror of that. There is one who can read your mind. God,. Yeah, right. <laughs> and instead of the delight of someone reading your mind and giving you what you want, someone who can read your mind and reveal it to everyone. Because there will be a day that all things will be laid bare before him of whom all will give an account. And that's a quick checkmate when you take every thought captive and reorient yourself toward God from self. So um, for me, remembering that keeps me from taking 20 or 50 steps down that road. Once you take two or three or four steps down that road, it's a quick (laughs) about-face.
0: Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Any other examples anyone would like to share? I know I can remember with my young daughters, when they were young, expecting too much of them, that they would be more mature and act more mature than they were capable of doing or even know more of the catechism than I thought, you know, as much of the catechism as I thought they should know. I mean, things like that. I mean expecting way too much of them for where they were in their lives. <laughs> okay, so we need to strive to avoid the trap of expecting things from people that they do not have the ability to provide moving on then desiring too much control or struggling with too much fear
9: many of us swinging back and many of us swinging back and forth between fear and control fear grips and controls too many of us so to protect ourselves from the things we are afraid of we want Way more control than we will ever have over the events and people in our lives. Eternity requires us to face the fact that we are not in charge, that we don't write our own stories. Eternity confronts us with the fact that our lives move and turn according to the will of another and that his will will be done.
0: So we're not in charge, we don't write the script of our lives. As believers, this should be a great comfort for us. It should free us from being paralyzed by fear and of grasping for control over every aspect of our lives. The question, can you think of a time in your life where fear gripping you caused you to be too focused on controlling your life and others?
9: I think that uh, the culture, um, I'll say some people that are older than me and other, I guess, with, I guess they think differently. Um, they kind of, I guess, the, I guess it focuses on sustaining yourself, like me marrying my husband, trusting him for our finances. Um, that was a big leap for me as a young person. I wanted to control my outcome. Like, I couldn't, like, it took me a while to quit Mm -hmm. my job because I wanted to control my outcome. Okay. But now that I rely on him, it's, like, I trust in God. So, yeah.
0: Right. Ultimately trust in the Lord Mm -hmm. and that he directs your husband and gives him wisdom, both of you wisdom as you consider finances. But, yes. Anyone else have an example of a time when fear gripping you caused you to... Be too focused on controlling your life and others?
4: I can't take pauses in conversation. Um, uh, <laughs> I think the most obvious example is evangelism. I mean, mm-hmm. you have eternity on the line, <clears> and I've been commanded by God to evangelize. And yet, the moment's there, the moment's right, everything's set up. I have the knowledge, I'm equipped with the Holy Spirit. And I stay silent in the moment because I'm afraid of the interaction, the conversation, whatever they might say. Just the number of, of souls out there that I could have shared the gospel with but haven't because of fear. And I can't think of anything that has a more of an eternal consequence than um, evangelism.
0: Amen. We've all been, we've all been there, sadly. You know, the one I came up with is not near so spiritual. <laughs> I was thinking there was a, a period in my in my life, um, and a number of you aware of this and prayed me through this, that two years prior to retirement from my job, that there were constant layoffs. And you didn't have advance notice. You didn't know and when you came in in the morning if that would be your last day or not. So during that time, it was um, I had to really fight the fear of being laid off from my job and wanting to be in control of whether I was able to stay there or not. And I had to keep before me the big picture that my job and uh, my God was in control. And it was if it was his will for me to be laid off, then so be it, but if not, then there's no way nobody, anybody would lay me off. And so that was a struggle that I had in my life, in this regard, fear and con- wanting control. Any other um, examples? Anybody's willing to share? <laughs> Lita.
10: <laughs> I think probably the most fearful time in my life was when we had five teenagers at one time, <laughs> and. Um, Five teenagers in high school, five teenagers sharing a bathroom in the morning, five teenagers uh, punching each other, five teenagers <laughs> testing the water, five teenagers still respectful, but I knew they were starting to move out in their own territory. And I would get in the car after I, they went to school, and I would, I don't know how I did this without killing myself or somebody else because I was just crying as I would drive to the mountains straight out when there was nothing out there. We could, we could just get them drive. And um, just asking the Lord for wisdom and for this fear to go away because I was starting to hand them off. And that's a fearful place for a mama and a daddy. Right?
0: Thank you. Yes, that, um, I can relate to that with having two daughters and <laughs> letting them go. <laughs> okay. Uh, doubting the goodness of God. Keep moving on.
8: Okay.
1: So it, it's we're at when we lose sight. Doubting the goodness oh. of God. Yeah, I think I think many of us struggle. Many of us struggle to find where we are. <laughs> I think. Okay. Okay, I'm I'm there. I think many of us struggle at street level to hold on to our belief that God is good because some things that He brings into our lives seem to be anything but good. If you don't understand God's agenda for you and his world, you will end up questioning his character. If you focus, if your focus is solely on here and now, it is easy to fall into this trap.
0: So the question there, can you think of a time in your life that you have found yourself questioning the goodness, faithfulness, and love of God? Julian? Julian?
7: I guess the most recent time is when our one and only car that we just spent most of our savings on broke down and now we have no vehicle that was a little frustrating but on the way to pick up my wife off the highway I just had to remind myself that everything works for his glory and for some reason he allowed that to
0: happen so right. so Lord gave you the proper perspective eternal perspective in the here and now, in the moment that's That's great. Okay, Michelle, and then Brooklyn, Um, and then Gerald. (laughs) So since that
9: happened, um, we're using his mother's car, and now that we're using her car, I had more time with his mom.
0: Okay. (laughs) So, blessing of the Lord in that regard. Brooklyn, and then I think Gerald had his hand.
5: So when I was a senior in college, my grandmother took a fall and ended up having emergency brain surgery and for two months she stayed on a ventilator and we watched her regress and regress and regress and that whole time I like how he says on the street level we doubt the goodness of God because in my head and out loud I'd be like well God is good and whatever he has sovereignly allowed to happen is good Like, but in, like in my heart I was so, like, angry and so fearful because it's like, she's not supposed to die. <laughs> she, she's supposed to be around forever, and there's no way God could use this for good. Um, but in reality, it has opened up so many conversations because of just the situation that led to her death and just so many things um, I was able to talk to her more and my mom. It opened up a lot of opportunity for me to talk to my mom about the Lord and really depend on her as she watched her own mother die. And um, But I was definitely like, how could you do this, Lord? How? And so walking through that definitely was one of those times. So.
0: Okay. <clears throat> it's so easy for us to f- slip into that. Thinking for the moment only, Gerald. Yeah,
6: I was just thinking about a, a season of my life where I when I had a I had a little swimming pool business and I uh, for about seven years and um, especially in the beginning of that uh, of that season, um, lots of problems. You know, things I didn't know how to do and because uh, I wasn't competent yet and um, I just remember being very angry at God like why you know why is this why is this turning out the way it's turning out and um it it took a it took literally years but there was a point where I finally realized that God's agenda was to make me like Jesus and that changed my whole perspective but it wasn't until I really saw that um I you know I just really doubted God's goodness
0: Right. God's agenda is to make me like Jesus and Gary. Oh, and Chrissy.
3: I don't know if I've ever questioned God's faithfulness and goodness, but I, I know I tested it many a time. Okay, <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> despite my disobedience and my, uh, he, he has always been faithful. He's always been true. Uh, I've been down alleys. I shouldn't have gone down he got me out of those alleys. So I always appreciate his faithfulness, his goodness and his protection over me during times that I wasn't really looking for it. So,
0: Amen. We can all say amen to that. <laughs> And Chrissy.
11: Um, I don't I, I think it's related to doubting his goodness, but what I think of is um, when things in my life are happening in the way that I I assume is best, or um, that I how how I would figure things out. Um, I, I think I subconsciously like forget the Lord's still at work. Like, and I have an underlying sense of He's being inactive because it's not going the way it, sh- it should be. Um, and it might just be a time that the Lord's teaching me to wait on him, that I, I just have this underlying, like, belief that he's taking a break and not still active <laughs> um, in what's happening.
0: Thank you. So I can think of, I can... I could um, imagine people thinking things like, if God loved me, I would have gotten that promotion that I obviously deserved. If God loved me, I wouldn't be struggling with this disease that I have. If God loved me, I wouldn't have the conflict in my life that I'm experiencing right now. And even if God loved me, he would have taken away this besetting sin by now. And I'm not sure you can think of a myriad of other things that, that we could say but an eternity-focused mindset will keep us from this trap. So moving on to becoming more disheartened than thankful.
12: Sadly, many of us are disappointed, not because God has ignored us or failed us in some way, or we have suffered much, or because the people around us are less than perfect, but because we approach life with the hope that it will deliver things that we will enjoy only in eternity. This thinking naturally leads to disappointment, and it is a small step from disappointment to lack of contentment and complaining to ourselves, to others, and to and about the Lord. In contrast, we properly properly keep eternity in view. It will naturally lead us to thankfulness for ourselves, for others, and most importantly, to the Lord for what he has done is doing for or in us, and what He will do in the future. Thank you.
0: So this question is probably not even worth asking. Is it more natural for you to complain than to be thankful? Sadly, I know in my life, when things don't go according to my plan, in my timing, and with the desired outcome that I seek, then it's easy for me to fall into the trap of grumbling, complaining, rather than having the proper attitude, biblical attitude of thankfulness. So let's strive to keep the proper perspective and be thankful. So lacking incentive and hope, the next one, the next trap to avoid.
8: All of the things described thus far work to weaken our motivation and hope. This world is not an unending cycle of dashed hopes and evaporating dreams, but because of God's plan, it is marching toward a moment when everything that is broken will be finally and completely restored. This gives you a reason to get up in the morning and press on with all the things God has called you to do. Greet your feeling of futility with the truth that what you're experiencing right now is not permanent. Doing so will strengthen motivation and instill hope.
0: Amen. Can you describe a time in your life when the life s- seemed futile and the effect it had on your motivation and hope during that time? <clears throat> I have another work related one that came to mind for me. <laughs> I remember work during that time of layoffs? You know, I was forced to find another position to stay employed. And that position was one that was outside of my wheelhouse, outside of my expertise, and, and even experience. And I was in over my head, actually. So there were mornings when I got up, and or I dreaded getting up, because going to work, because I knew uh, there was little hope of making any progress or, or being successful. And I had to fight. I really had to fight to remind myself that you know, I was where the Lord wanted me to, to be at that time, and that's where he called me to be. And I, I had to fight to you know, get up, go to work, and do the best that uh, me praying to him constantly helped me and he enabled me to do. So <laughs> that was the only way that I could have any hope to continue in that situation. Any other, anybody else have any, any examples like that? PJ has
4: one. It's probably more spiritual than mine, but. <laughs> no, no, I'll go straight to work. Uh, I feel like 98% of my work meetings I, I come out of, or especially if I have to talk to HR, or one of my leaders is you know, talking to me about something, and I'm just like, this is what I'm spending my time doing. like. Man, I have a lot of Hebrew homework still due, and if I could study my Bible more, and like, honestly, even just on back at my desk, on my shelf, I have all these things I'd rather be doing, um, and it just feels like, you know, you're having a conversation with an employee who's struggling to perform, and you know this is conversation number five and the ten conversations <laughs> that you're going to have and no change. There's just this like feeling if I start to think about it that I'm like wait a minute, everything outside of work is so eternally focused and so valuable and then this work just feels like going through the motions and just blah, like tasteless. Um, but uh, you know, oh, is it just for the paycheck? And so then, it, and it's quick to turn into almost even trying to use God and faith as like an out for like, yeah, see, this isn't very valuable. Um, and then, you know, Colossians 3:23 and 24 come to mind, work as to, unto the Lord, because uh, your work is for God and not for men. And suddenly that conversation with that employee or whatever changes. So, no, daily, <laughs> daily there's a time, it seems like at work, where I just want to think well, I'll just quit. We'll find a way to make this all work. There's no point to this. This I've had the same meeting over and over, and yet um, God clearly <clears throat> intends for me to work even uh, secular work um, as unto him.
0: Amen. It's all, all in the perspective. So let's move on to Tennessee to deny consequences, the last one here. Thank you, PJ. <laughs> One of the important functions of the doctrine of eternity right now is that it requires us to face the fact that life does have does have consequences. You cannot live life. Li- you cannot live, however, you you cannot live however you want to live, but do whatever you or do whatever you want to do, and make whatever decisions you want to make without consequences. There is a life after death. There is a final judgment. There is a spa- a place of eternal punishment. The doctrine of eternity presents us with the ultimate consequence. It reminds you that how you live really does matter. Thank you. Silver so lack of time. I think we'll skip this question. It's one of the harder ones to answer anyhow. But if we keep in mind that our God is a just God, that he's a good God, and there is a coming certain judgment in which those outside of Christ will be sentenced to eternal torment, It will help us to avoid this trap and keep our our minds focused as we should. So the chapter summary. Eternity calls us to live for things that are grand, transcendent, and glorious, even as we live in the middle of the muck and the mud of a broken and sin-scarred world. Eternity welcomes us to live with hope even when nothing around us seems to be working as it should and we are simply not strong enough or sovereign enough to initiate the changes that are necessary. Eternity invites us to live with the author and the hero of the story in view, even though we can't physically see him or hear him now. Eternity warns us not to fight for the things that don't matter in the long run, but to invest our time, energy, and money in things that have eternal consequence. Go to Revelation and listen to the voices that are on the other side. What's the subject of their celebration? It's not wealth, power, grand palaces, people's acclaim, success, or achievement. No, the constant focus of the celebration is the Savior and his faithful and victorious grace. I'd like us to close uh, this chapter by looking at a f- couple passages from Revelation. Revelation 5. Well, let's do, since we're running out of time, let's, you can read Revelation 5, 6 to 14 yourselves, but I'll go ahead and look at Revelation 15, 2 to 4. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And Revelation 19, 6-9, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So let us fix our hearts and minds on the things that eternity will reveal really do matter. So just a couple minutes. We have a couple minutes left we've come to the end of the lessons in this book. so We've looked at 12 doctrines of the Word of God, and we've seen that their primary purpose was not information but transformation. The informative function of the truths of Scripture is not the goal of the truths, but a necessary means to the goal of those truths, which is radical, personal transformation in our lives. And one way to say this is that there would be no gaps between the doctrine we say we believe and how we actually live our lives in everyday life. Another way to say it is that true belief is always lived. Faith is never just something you do in your mind, but it's also a commitment of your heart that changes the way you live your everyday life. And so we pray that this study has been useful towards closing those gaps between what we say we believe and how we live our lives in everyday life. And may the Holy Spirit enable us to do so more and more each day as we spend time in and contemplate his word from an eternal perspective. Let's close in prayer. Our God, our God we do thank you for this time. We thank you for this series and this book. <clears throat> we thank you for this morning in challenging us to thank with eternity, from an internal perspective. Pray that, oh God, the Holy Spirit, that you would enable us indeed to bring, to diminish, to shrink, to even, if it would be possible, eliminate those gaps between what we profess, what we confess, and what we actually live in our lives. We need your help desperately to do this, and we ask for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.